Hi in the hills of Happy Valley, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and listeners like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground to mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writings of Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see that I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink? When did we see you were a stranger and invite you in or need clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. My guest today is Derek Flores. He's a registered nurse and an author who has worked with hospice and pediatric patients for the last seven years. Him and his daughters live in Colorado's Front Range at the foot of the Rocky Mountains, where he enjoys snowboarding and mountain biking. We're going to discuss a few of his books today, as well as his ministry as a hospice nurse. Derek, I was tooling around the internet the other day, and I came across a headstone in Ireland, and I love the epitaph. It read, death leaves a heartache no one can heal. Love leaves a memory no one can steal. I think this is rather integral to your work and end of life, correct? Oh, most definitely. Uh, the love that uh, people have for each other and the experience they go through um, as death approaches is uh, something that never leaves our memory. So hospice, it's a type of care that focuses on the palliative of the terminally ill patient's pain and also attends to the emotional and the spiritual needs. Can you please give us more of a human definition? Oh, sure. Um, palliative, the words palliative and hospice have become interchangeable over the years. Um, as far as healthcare providers, they have a few different meetings. meetings. Uh, palliative uh, patients that are on palliative care are quite often still seeking curative uh, means. They may have cancer, they may still be getting chemotherapy, and a healthcare provider um, is active in that care. Hospice care is best described as uh, comfort care, uh, managing symptoms uh, from a nursing perspective uh, is what hospice is. And then there's a whole team of people that comprise a hospice team uh, to provide psychosocial support, uh, everybody from uh, chaplain, uh, social worker, um, providing those services, and then on the medical side, everything coming off of the work uh uh, with a doctor, nurse, and I think the most important part, person in our team would be a CNA, providing the, the most intimate care to families and patients. Now, I imagine that you find that most families really have no idea how to navigate the best hospice care system, especially when dealing with the stress of their loved one who's approaching the end-of-life experience. How can you help give us some information to make this journey a little bit easier for us? Well, I think it was but the first thing, thing to remember is that this is a difficult time and you're not going to have all your wits about you. There's so many emotions that are involved with uh, someone 
uh, having an extended illness and then approaching um, approaching death, that uh, first advice would be to not be hard on yourself. Um, the people that comprise the hospice team are there to uh, walk you through the process, and um, don't be afraid to ask questions. And also, don't uh, don't be afraid to approach the whole process of choosing the hospice uh, from a, a consumer's perspective. I think that's a healthy perspective to have is you making those choices. I love the helpful question that you tend to ask when you arrive. When a loved one has passed away, you come to the house, people are starting to gather, and you've mentioned that there's something that you always ask the family because you haven't really gotten to necessarily know the person who's passed away very well. Tell us about that. Oh, gosh, she's pulling on my heartstrings right away, Elizabeth. Um, I uh, Maybe it's a little bit from a selfish way, but I think it helps both the nurse and also the family, but... I asked the family members to tell me what their loved one was like before they got ill. And um, I know my experience was that I, I take care of hospice patients, and most of them were elderly, and I just never had a chance to know them as young, uh, a young, vibrant person, just like most of their family members would have known. So I got something out of it hearing those stories, but most, more importantly, the family members talking about their loved one, and all the wonderful memories they have. Uh, you can just see their hearts start to heal uh, by sharing those joyful times of uh, being together and doing great things as a family, maybe even some difficult times that the family had overcome. And it's just a, it's a, it's a good way to start the healing. So even if uh, your listeners aren't, uh, aren't hospice nurses, I encourage families who are dealing with the loss of a loved one, to share those uh, stories with each other and really be helping each other through difficult times. Now you have lots of amazing insight, just your time with what you're doing. You've written this trifecta of books. And for those of you who don't really follow horse racing, that means three. You've written these three books regarding hospice and I really want to discuss these in the order that you think would be the most helpful for people since we've got three here. Well, thank you. Um, the first book I wrote uh, is called, titled, Seven Keys to a Peaceful Bathing, A Hospice Nurse's Step-by-Step Guide to Hospice. And the reason I wrote the book was to really give people a practical tool to approach uh, the whole hospice experience. Just like you mentioned earlier, is most people um, haven't had this experience before, and it can be overwhelming. So I go step-by-step, step, seven different items that are very important to, um, to know, to make good choices. And the goal really is a few different things. First of all is to um, secure what hospice nurses call a good outcome or health care providers would call a good outcome, and that would be a peaceful and, and painless death uh, for their loved one. And I, I think everybody agrees that that's the most important, uh, important thing. So I talk a lot about different things in the book. Uh, I think choosing a hospice uh, early on and getting on hospice services uh, when the patient and family are ready to do that is very important. Um, Unfortunately, I've had many experiences as a nurse um, going, admitting a patient into hospice, and then uh, driving uh, back home from wherever the patient was and then getting a phone call saying they passed. 
And quite honestly, it's, um, it's not the best way to do it. I think if somebody has the opportunity to be on hospice services for months, um, it can be uh, a much better medical outcome uh, and also just as important, a better emotional and spiritual experience for the patient and also uh, their family and friends. My guest today is Derek Flores. He's talking about his first book, Seven Keys to a Peaceful Passing, a hospice nurse's step-by-step guide to hospice. And this book really reads like a roadmap to the decision makers who are in charge of hospice care and they're beloved by really equipping them with a lot of practical knowledge. Something I love in your book is the story of Michael and Paul. I love that rich dichotomy of two very different deaths that you explain how they live their life how they died. And I love your quote that says that you can make all the right decisions or you can make a series of what the world considers mistakes, but death remains a constant. Wowzers, that is just so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I was really touched by these two uh, gentlemen. Um, I can remember driving up uh, to uh, the rich man's home and just being blown away by the the walk that I saw, uh, but more than that, I was I was blown away by how much his family loved him, um, and it was just uh, a neat experience to be in that environment. Um, it was a little different from my world. He was actually uh, talking about some business deals with his uh, his children as I was there. Uh, a lot of uh, six and seven figures being thrown around. Um, so I, I observed that, but also noticed uh, the affection that they had for each other. And the dichotomy of that was also taking care of a, another man at the same time who was also a veteran uh, as the first person. And seeing that he was in the home of his loved ones, he did not have his own home, all of his belongings uh, fit, uh, fit in, a, in a duffel bag, and um, they, they loved him also. And he had this beautiful view of the Rocky Mountains from his window. Um, even though he had gone through so much in his life, you could tell that he was not dwelling on the losses he had. Um, his smile was so uh, beautiful and rich that um, I was just I was honored to be around both men. It gave me a perspective on my own life and what uh, what my legacy would be. And of course, that's the family and friends. Most of all, my Three daughters. So, uh, what a wonderful gift they gave me to to be part of their care and um, to be there with them through that experience. Derek, what do you say to a patient when they ask you if they're dying? Well, you have to be honest with people. And if somebody asks me a direct question like that, I would certainly uh, give them an answer, a truthful answer. Um, but I think that's where the um, nursing becomes an art, not just a profession. And that uh, really talented nurses are the ones that um, look to those uh, cues that we all have with each other, those micro-expressions that reveal uh, what's in our hearts and uh, maybe how we should deliver that information. So I think it's good um, for people to have an idea of what's happening to them in the way that they can uh, handle it best. So I would certainly tell them, uh, but I'd also ask them how they felt about it and if they were afraid of what's happening. And I cannot even remember a patient that's told me that they were afraid. 
most often it was um, an expression of relief that they uh, their long journey uh, was uh, coming to an end. That's definitely very reassuring to hear. As a hospice nurse, do you find that the family members and the people coming to visit, they ask you to fully explain the end-of-life process, or do you find more family members are more comfortable knowing that you're there to take care of the medication and to answer questions as they go along but not really want to know what's going on? You know, I think the farmers, uh, most common situation, people really are uh, fascinated by uh, the dying experience and uh, the physiology of it. Um, I found the most common question I had as a hospice nurse was people asking me when their loved one is going to die. And um, it's, uh, it's a tough question for a nurse because, uh, to tell you the truth, you can only answer it wrong because if you tell somebody it's going to happen soon and they have weeks more, um, for the family to care for their loved one, then you're not being fair to them. So I try to give them a really wide uh, range of, of time. I would talk to them about the specifics to look for when somebody's passing changes in their eating habits, uh, their breathing, and also uh, the amount of time that they're sleeping. Those are the three main indicators that I saw over the years of you know, anticipating when somebody uh, might pass. Your book, Seven Keys to a Peaceful Passing, was very easy to read. It was very fabulous. And here you are. You have another book called Letters to a Hospice Nurse, Transforming Grief to Joy. And in this book, you share 12 love letters that are written by family members to the hospice nurse who provided care for their loved ones. And some of the people that you describe in this book, they lived extraordinary lives of achievement. Others struggled each day with some basic aspects of their life. And I know that you hope by reading these life stories that we can all make this connection with our own grief and be empowered to find healing and joy in our heart. And how did you come up with this fabulous concept to write this as a book? Oh, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Um, it uh, kind of goes back to that uh, question that I asked families uh, when I would come after the loved one passed away, uh, wanting to know more uh, about that person, you know, from the nurse's perspective, I was always interested in what sort of lives they live. And uh, the thought really hit me one day when I was at a patient's bedside, a veteran, and I saw uh, all these pictures like uh, arrayed like a rainbow, um, starting on the left from black and white photos of, uh, of that person in their military uniform, and then the wedding picture, and then gradually color came into that spectrum where there are kids and the polyester from when everybody was together in the 70s and wearing their dressed outfits and then and then usually ending with a selfie picture from a great-grandchild who was uh, wanting a keepsake with a grandpa or a great-grandpa. So that was the origin of the idea of the book, and it really turned into something that I didn't expect, and it, it really became much more personal. And uh, there's wonderful friendships that were formed in the, in the process of writing the book. And I found a lot of healing for myself, which really just uh, hit me in a, in a wonderful way and helped me move past some grief that my family and I had experienced in 2015 when we lost two uh, family members, uh, close family members. So it was, it was really an amazing experience.
I was really amazed, too, that people just don't write, thank you for coming into our lives. Mom really appreciated the fact you, you know, put her cozy socks on every night. These are some really long letters where people really go into their history and they go into maybe how they that person came into their life and they give you almost... Um, you know, the write-up, the person's life story, what they call the dash, that really important thing of you'll have the birth date on a headstone, you'll have the end date, but it's that dash in between that has all the juicy goodness of what our lives are about. And it's interesting how they'll go into some of the fun stories and that people really take time when you ask them to share about someone's life. They really share that that person was their hero and um, what they what they want is what give me something that really touched you greatly in some of these letters. You know, the one that really keeps coming back to me over time is just a really short line in the book. It's uh, about a mother and grandmother. Her name is Marcy. She's from the Wisconsin area. She's a Green Bay Packer fan. And it was a story written by her daughter. And she... Um, uh, the daughter talked about her and her sister going through mom's uh, dresser and makeup cabinet when mom was uh, was not around, and um, it's kind of a, uh, a sneaky, fun thing that uh, kids do sometimes. And they found an old picture in mom's uh, in mom's dresser, and it was Ma- their mother Marcy in a wedding gown. But the man was not their father. So it turned out that Marcy was actually married before. Mm-hmm. And she married a man who she knew was sick, who she knew was going to die, but she married him anyway for love. Oh, I'll try not to break up here uh, for your listeners, but uh, that just hit me so hard. Such a unselfish thing that she loved this man so much, and she gave him such a wonderful gift uh, to be to be loved, to have a spouse, and uh, she did it just for that singular reason for love. I like that one too. I think that's neat. I'm not a Green Bay Packer fan, but I really enjoyed seeing that and and Lulu in Paris and the Christmas Day in Hawthorne mm-hmm. and a lot of these were really wonderful. Now you've written another book here. It's called My Letter. A Companion Journal for Letters to a Hospice Nurse. So something I think it's really neat about this book is you go into the stages of grief right away on the front page, well, inside the book and one of the front pages, and get into that and say, this is sort of here you are, this is what you're going to go through. And then you make it known that, you know, this letter is written by and have a date and have a letter as a gift. And you really have a journal here where people can start to have a place to imprint their own words and their own letters. And rather than saying, hey, you should just write a letter, this actually gives them a place to put it and have them all grouped together. What made you feel that having a companion piece like this was really important to get people to start writing down their thoughts? Well, the reason is, uh, as a nurse, a registered nurse, I'm very practical in some ways. And I thought that um, the book Letters to Hospice Nurse was great, but I kept asking myself, well, what's the real purpose? And what I came up with is this journal, as you mentioned, called My Letter, and it gives um, the reader of Letters to Hospice Nurse a chance to process their own grief about their own loved one and their relationship with them. So it's, um, 
it's really geared towards somebody who's had any significant sort of loss. My hope is that hospices around the country will use uh, these two uh, publications, Letters to a Hospice Nurse and also my letter in their bereavement program. So I'm, I'm sure that um, any uh, hospice uh, team members that are out there in the country know that there's a, a process that hospices go through. They contact uh, families uh, in intervals of time after a loved one passes, just checking in on them. I felt that the combination of these two items uh, would be a wonderful gift to them as um, healthcare providers and chaplains and social workers to give uh, to a family to help them uh, have uh, some peace uh, to process that grief and also understand that the uh, process of grieving is something that doesn't happen in any sort of sequential way. Uh, many of us uh, feel the different ways of grief uh, at unpredictable times. In my just uh, happen in a conversation you have with somebody you eat at the store, and it brings you back to, you know, maybe a good memory or possibly a difficult uh, situation you had in the past. But all this this process of going through these stages of grief hopefully bring you out on the other end um, in a joyful uh, to a joyful place uh, with your heart. I can see that. And I also could see how both of these books could be utilized by bereavement staff and grievement support groups and nurses and hospice teams and even in a hospital gift shop. And what I like about them in many ways is one is the the font is legible. I can see somebody of all ages being able to read. Also, they're very pretty. Um, I love <laughs> they're green with pink scripted font and they have these gorgeous flowers, the peonies, I think. What made you choose this design for these books? Oh, thank you. Um, I have a wonderful illustrator that I work with. Uh, his name is Rob Williams. I have to say this flowers are really inspired by my, uh, my mother, Rita Archuleta. She lived to be 103 years old, and that's really um, her care and the care of my other grandparents by my mom and dad uh, over about 15 years span really was introduction free and being compassionate to others and providing end of life care. So I definitely uh, think of my uh, my grandma when uh, these uh, covered together and um, you know very grateful for the love that she had for uh, for our family in the years. They're very welcoming books. Definitely feel good in the hand. Very welcoming. Did you find when you were collecting any of these letters, did they ever make you feel sad that these were stories of people who were really no longer alive? No, I really felt that they were. They are a celebration of, of lives. And just like you said, um, they're not, they weren't all easy lives. Um, one lady that you mentioned, Lulu and Paris, um, she had a difficult life from beginning to end, uh, except for uh, the period that she uh, was in hospice. And even though um, she didn't seem to have all with her, it comes through the pages that she really was happy. And, that, um, and the hope is that um, she was able to make her way to Paris, which is the place that she always wanted to go to. So the image of her dancing in Paris. And with a beautiful hat on and, and with, uh, with someone that she loves. So 
know, I, I felt good about all the letters, and it was amazing to have the uh, the writer of each letter uh, contact me afterwards and say, you know, I just didn't expect that this whole process would be like this, that, um, you know, I processed this grief in a way that I hadn't uh, before, and that's really what drove me to uh, publish my letter, uh, because that gives uh, all the, the people that uh, are going through similar experiences a chance to uh, do something similar for themselves. They can decide to, um, to share it with friends, the family, or they can even send it to me. Uh, we're going to be uh, producing more um, uh, more versions or more editions of letters to a hospice nurse. So, you know, whatever they, whatever they need, hopefully these uh, publications help them. If you were offered the chance to deliver end-of-life care in the prison system, do you think that's something you'd be comfortable doing? Oh, most definitely. I think uh, people in that situation, uh, just by the bare fact that they are um, human beings and the, the dignity um, given to them by God, that um, you know they should have other services. It would be an honor to, to do that for them. Describe something that you have done, that you've something you provided patients or your families of hospice, just sort of an out-of-the-box approach. Oh, um, one patient that really sticks in my mind is he, he pops in and out every once in a while, uh, was uh, a person who also had a difficult life, uh, who had a mental um, who had mental health issues. And I remember seeing uh, this person's uh, picture in black and white, just like I had mentioned earlier, um, very uh, uh, very much a picture that uh, would be taken in the 1950s. And then I saw him uh, at the end of life, and he was, uh, he was just in a difficult spot, very uncomfortable. Um, and I was able to... Uh, help get him comfortable with the assistance or the direction of the physician and the other team members. And I put one and one together, two and two together, and realized that this uh, person really had a wonderful love for um, uh, Byzantine or uh, uh, just his beautiful uh, music. And I was able to pull it up on my phone and uh, play it for him. And I could just tell by his body language uh, that he, he responded to it. And he's somebody that I never was able to have a conversation with, uh, but I think about him uh, often. Um, so I I was grateful to be able to do that for them. I think that the things as nurses that we remember are quite often things like that because you know, we get used to uh, giving medications and uh, providing all the different um, cares and services that nurses do, but when we're able to do something and hopefully touch somebody's heart, that that really makes uh, uh, the work we do worth it. Absolutely beautiful. Give us the website where people can find you. Uh, you can find me a few different places. All of my publications are on Amazon.com. I have an author page there. And also I have uh, my own website, and that's DerekJFlores.com. That's spelled D-E-R-E-K. My middle initial J, and then my last name is Flores, F-L-O-R-E-S dot com. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you so much to my guest, hospice nurse Derek Flores. 
And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>